Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. Now, good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. MJ Cleary with you for the next hour, bringing the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Thank you all for joining me and reasonably mild the last few days. And some good news in relation to the weather. High pressure will dominate from Friday and the weekend, bringing mainly dry and bright weather. So that's a plus and we will look forward to it. Uh, this week on the programme in a moment, I'll be speaking to Pat Griffin from the HSA about changes which have occurred this week regarding quad usage. So if you own or operate a quad, this is important information. We're going to have Pat in just a couple of minutes. Also, I was at a farm walk last week. It was on the farm of Donny Sheehan on the Offaly Tipperary border just outside Shinron and it focused on the area of raising the water table of peatland. So this is a very contentious subject as we know here in the Midlands. Farmers are really concerned about what effect this will have on their own lands should the neighbour of one of these farms re-wet land. So later I will be speaking to Doug McMillan. He's from an organisation called Green Restoration Ireland about what they do and what their aims are for farmers with peatlands. And this is specifically farmers with peatlands. The Chagas Annual Dairy Conference takes place next Wednesday, this day week, in Lyrath Hotel in Kilkenny. Uh, with a huge array of speakers on schedule for the day. Production costs and labour are two of the big topics up, up for discussion. Lots of interesting areas being looked at. I see a research piece on milking 10 times per week and whether it would suit your system. That one really caught my eye. I thought that was an interesting one. Uh, interesting angles and they are all up for discussion. James Dunn from Chagas will join me later to chat through the event and how you register. It's a full day event. Starts at nine, runs till four. You, can buy, you buy a ticket, get dinner in the middle of the day and a, a really informative session there next week. Longhorn beef is something that I wasn't familiar with until last week I came across it and a company from the UK, the Butelar Group, are big proponents of it across the water. They want Irish farmers to get involved. They're looking for dairy farmers to use longhorn beef straws and then they want farmers to contract rare the cattle through to beef. They're working in partnership with Ashbourne Meats and are planning on paying a bonus that will be greater than the current Angus scheme. So with more on this, Ed Cooper from the Butelar Group will join me later in the hour to have a chat. I mentioned to you last week that I was chairing the Chagas Beef Conference. Uh, it was on yesterday in Ballinasloe. Uh, so I was there for the entire event. And if I get a minute, I'll run through some of the main topics which you hear over the course of the hour. Uh, very informative, I have to say, and some really good speakers. Uh, some great interest there. And it was in the west of Ireland as well, in Ballinasloe. So lots and lots of suckler farmers there as well. And uh, they had some interesting questions and interesting angles to add to the speakers over the course of the evening. So hopefully talk to you about that as well. Uh, as I said, Pat Griffin from the Health and Safety Authority is joining me now. And he's going to have a chat with us about what the new rules are on quad bikes. Pat, many thanks for taking my call. Good evening, MJ. How are you? Uh, very good, Pat. And many thanks for joining me. So this was something that was... Uh, in the pipeline for a period of time. Farmers were aware of it, but it kicked in properly this week. So can you tell us what exactly is the rule change around uh, quad usage now, please, Pat? Yeah, it's been coming for quite a while. We we drafted the regulations, went out to consultation, and we eventually put them through. And on Monday, they became law that um, 
every operator of a quad bike, regardless of where they operated or what sector they operated in, must get professional training and they must wear a helmet. And this is really brought in because we've had far too many lives lost and tragically lives changed forever because of quad bike incidents and fatalities. Uh, yeah, absolutely, Pat. Look, they're a very powerful machine and like any machine, if you don't know how to use them, uh, you could be in, in trouble and unfortunately that has is and has occurred o- over the years. Uh, the first question I'm going to ask you is the professional training. Uh, how will farmers in particular uh, go about getting this training? Yeah, I think they should um, seek out the training in, in their locality as close as possible to where they're actually operating. And there's lots of trainers across the country, like um, FRS have many, many locations for, for trainers. Chagas do training and lots of uh, Lantra trainers as well. So make sure that the trainer that you select is a registered um, training provider and a registered a- agency. Absolutely, Pat. The, the training then, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a half day, a full day? Um, is there kind of parameters yeah, of, well, of what for, it is? For experienced operators, and most farmers uh, will be experienced operators, they will be a one-day training. And uh, for new entrants, people that have never operated a quad before, it's two days training separated by a, a, a period of self-learning, in fact. So, you know, the one-day training will cover the um, the quad bike, the maintenance of the quad bike, critical issues like tyre pressures and, and steering and brakes, and also cover the use of the quad for spraying and for p- pulling a trailer, and there'll be a practical element too as well. So the assessment at the end will be done by the by the trainer, and if you pass your assessment, you get a certificate to say that you've been trained. Uh, on the helmet, uh, Pat, is there certain requirements for this? Are there certain outlets selling them? Do they need uh, certain things uh, to differentiate yeah, them from other well, things? The, well, uh, pardon the pun, it's not one one size fits all, really, because um, the helmet is really, you have to think about the speed and type of surface you're on. So the higher the speed you're going to travel and the harder the surface, the higher the specification. So if you're using a quad bike predominantly on a public road, on a paved on paved tarmac, you really have to wear um, a, a motorbike style, style helmet. But if you're using the, the quad bike on your land, generally softer ground, then um, a quad bike helmet, which is recommended by the manufacturer of the quad, is sufficient. But uh, a bicycle helmet or a hard hat from a construction site are not acceptable. It must be a quad type helmet, which has a visor and a chin strap to keep it in place. Uh, yeah, very good, Pat. Uh, another thing that just crossed my mind when, when we're chatting, I remember once uh, seeing a picture of a quad bike and it had a, a roll bar on it and I said to myself, that was a, a very good idea from a safety aspect. Never kicked off or never was really taken on board. Was that anything you ever came across in the, in the HSA over the years, Pat? It, it is, yes. These these design were designed first in Australia where they had very, very high numbers of fatalities and it was called the quad bar and several systems actually developed now, the Australian government actually granted those um, devices. They're called personal protective devices on quads. And unfortunately, um, Honda uh, and a couple of others, other um, manufacturers uh, did research and felt that uh, these quad bars and devices could actually increase the risk to the operator because if you're thrown from the quad bike, the actual protective quad bar could actually impact you. So they have actually pulled out of the Australian market. Um, 
to put one of these on your pod here in Ireland, you must make sure that the device is CE marked. And there is a CE marked product uh, on the market here. It's called QuadGuard and it's brought in by GrassTech. And um, while I do see benefits of it, uh, we are looking to ask farmers uh, how they find the unit, have have they found it useful, and does it impede them in any way. So the the jury is out on them, really. Yeah, very good. Uh, Lastly, Pat, uh, look, you're chatting to us here about farm safety, uh, farming programme. Would you give us one maybe piece of advice, uh, Pat, that farmers could take away for this evening? Something maybe you see regularly on farms that, uh, something that a farmer could do to make his or her workplace a safer environment? Well, I find it very difficult just to give one <laughs> mm. item because there are so many things you need to think about on a farm and farms are so busy. But tractors and other vehicles are by far the biggest killer uh, on Irish farms. And if farmers could do one thing is to make the farmyard when the machinery is in operation, make it a no-go zone for people coming out to talk to them or, or, or coming out to the yard. Make sure that people stay out of the yard uh, and only approach a machine when the, the driver has seen them and has stopped the machine. There's so many blind spots around a, a tractor or other large vehicle. Far too many people are being reversed over or driven over in farmyards. Tractors are the biggest killer, uh, followed by quads and, and teleporters. So that that's our message. We're also um, running a farm safety campaign this week on farmers' health and well-being. We sent a booklet to every farmer in the country in the um, Department of Agriculture um, Basic Farm Payment Pack in January, February. And I'd hope that um, farmers would have a look at that booklet and try to make one change in their, in their health status to, to improve their health, overall health. You know, pick up the book, look at it, see what you could do to change your health, improve your health. And that way we'll, we'll look after this, both the safety and health of farmers out there. Very good, Pat. Good advice, I have to say. And many thanks for the rundown there. We'll speak to you again on the programme. Thanks, MJ. Cheers. Uh, Pat Griffin there from the HSA. And uh, that is the news on the quads. If you own one, need to do a training course and also need a helmet. You really can't argue with either of those. Uh, the roll bar is an interesting one, how uh, Honda pulled out of the Australian market as a result of it. I don't own a quad, so I'd look, I can't really comment on it. But when I saw it, it did look like it was something that would make it more uh, safe. But listen, uh, they don't seem to feel the same way in Honda. It shows you, though, that uh, more and more farmers are going down the route of the gator, the uh, what would you say, a, a, a quad with a cab, I suppose, uh, but they're very, very, very pricey in comparison to the quad and that is what's putting people off. Uh, you can spend really huge, huge money on them, especially the higher spec models, the John Deere models and whatnot. Huge money. Uh, interesting as well what Pat said just there at the very end. Uh, farmyard is a no-go when machinery is operating and uh, that is great advice. I think especially, I know this time of the year, not that busy yet around the farm other than a bit of feeding really but uh, you won't feel slurry will start being spread and in a few months time I think the farmyard has to be a no-go during silage uh, times uh, especially for small children around it. just that's it that's the policy you create in the house and uh, little people aren't around 
when tractors and trailers are coming because, as Pat said, so many blind spots and it just takes a second for a tragic accident to occur. Before I go to a break, as I mentioned, I was at the uh, beef conference yesterday, the Chagas one. There were a couple of uh, papers that uh, caught my eye yesterday and uh, one of those was, well, there was a few, there was basically six papers over the course of two sessions. Paul Crossan was on to start talking about the changes in the Eurostar Index. Now, Paul was on here with us last week and he spoke about it. There doesn't seem to be a huge amount of changes. About 85% of females are going to retain their four and five star status and it's not going to affect this year's SCEP, so you don't have to worry about that. There was a lady, Ellen Fitzpatrick, she was talking about low input, high output dairy beef heifer systems. That was Angus's and Hereford's and it was trialling them on different uh, forages. Basically, there was perennial ryegrass, there was multi-species sward and there was a clover-based sward and they finished earlier off the clover. Clover seemed to have the greatest bang for buck. There was a lady talking about IBR and uh, why we were blood testing under the recent welfare scheme. Uh, there was also uh, a lady from France and she was talking about certification schemes in France and how farmers are being paid for carbon reduction. So basically, in France, the way it's operating at the moment, you go into a scheme and on year one and then at the end of it, by year five, you uptake a number of practices you might sow some forestry you might sow a bit more hedgerow low missing slurry uh, shorter calve ingestation all of these ones and it's quantified over the course of the five years and then a company like maybe Lidl or McDonald's or whoever will come and buy that carbon off you and the average payment for French farmers under this scheme is uh, €17,000 over the course of the five years so it's a model it's there it's working and uh, it's probably only a matter of time before it comes uh, over to us here in Ireland. Finally, uh, a man, Rupert Claxton, works with a company called Gira, G-I-R-A. He gave a really interesting presentation at the end of it about the world outlook for beef prices and input costs. And basically it was a positive message that uh, there is still a very, very strong global demand for beef and uh, being locked out of the Chinese market. While it's an issue at the moment, it's not the end of the world because basically uh, beef from Australia or wherever will go into the Chinese market. It means it won't come over here. He is conscious about uh, trade deals being struck between the UK and Australia and how it will affect us uh, because of the UK being our largest uh, exporter. Uh, And it is one of those ones we have to be conscious of. There was a figure uh, at that event which I heard which I said I'd remember, and that is for every 10 cattle there are in Ireland, nine of them are exported out of the country in meat, and uh, we keep about one in 10. So that shows the huge, huge, huge amount of export there is in the country. But it finished on a positive note with uh, with strong uh, beef demand, and looking like the UK aren't going to be able to meet their own demand the early part of next year, which again is good news for us. So hopefully prices will move in the right direction as a result of that lack of supply across the water. Now, coming up after the break, I am going to be speaking to Ed Cooper on the topic of beef. He's with the Butelar Group and he's going to be talking about longhorn beef and how he wants to get Irish farmers involved in contract rearing and how they are going to offer an additional bonus. It's going to be higher than the Angus bonus for longhorn beef in the future. So stay tuned. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. Now we're moving on to the area of beef and a specific beef. It's longhorn beef. And Ed Cooper from the Butelair Group is going to inform us now. Ed, many thanks for joining me this evening. 
No problem, MJ. No problem at all. Uh, so, Ed, uh, Longhorn Beef, as I said, is what we're going to speak about. And I have to say, it's one I didn't know much about. So I'm looking forward to learning about it as much as our listeners here. Uh, what is the background of this type of beef, uh, Ed? Longhorn Beef. Explain it to us, please. Well, MJ, we, uh, we've we obviously, we started in Ireland and we sort of migrated to the UK. And uh, we've developed some uh, dairy beef supply chains over there. And... Um, Actually, we've sort of gravitated back to Ireland now and we're looking to replicate uh, some similar schemes that are very successful in the UK already. Um, we supply various sort of uh, multiple outlets in the UK, but uh, we lately are focusing on what we would call value-added markets, so sort of beef at the top of the triangle for quality. Um, and we are with a scheme running at the moment in our, uh, in conjunction with Progressive Genetics and Worldwide Sires, where we are selecting dairy herds with uh, cow cow weights, uh, average, cows, average cow weight of 600 kilos, um, no more than 5% gen, uh, Jersey genetics. And we are putting uh, longhorn straws into those cows and we're contract buying those calves back from the dairy farmers and we are looking for Irish farmers to rear calves for us um, to B&B those calves through to slaughter and we have done a lot of hard work uh, developing markets across the UK and Europe uh, where we will market that beef and we're looking to be able to add a bit of value to it so we can pay a little bit more for it at, at the farm level. Yeah, very good. Well explained, uh, Ed. Uh, and the uh, the longhorn beef, longhorn straws that uh, the dairy farmers are going to be using, uh, what type of calf do they expect? What are the traits of a, of a longhorn animal? What colour, speck, etc. are they? Yeah, so the calf that you get, the longhorn itself, the purebred longhorn, they're quite similar to shorthorn cattle. The shorthorn breed is actually bred from the longhorn. It's an older breed. Um, but we discovered in uh, beef sire trials that we've a lot of very attractive traits that come through with the crossbreds, uh, so the Frisian longhorn crossbreds. So basically you get an animal, they look quite like Angus. Uh, some of them have a white stripe the whole way up their back. You can get, sporadically you can get red cattle in there as well. You have the red gene in the longhorn. So, but basically you could have a dot on their back or you could have a whole white stripe, maybe a little bit like a speckled park. Um, but they're very much an Angus, Hereford type animal. That's the, just slot into that bracket perfectly. Yeah, when you think about longhorns, you kind of think of those American uh, animals with the you know the big set of horns on them. But um, are they are they related to those ones uh, um, over over in the US, or is the the longhorn that you'd be thinking about with the the cowboys riding after them? Are they they a different uh, different animal altogether? They yeah, they're actually a different breed. Um, Genetically, they're a different breed. The, the longhorn, they're an English longhorn, and they're actually an ancient breed. So they'd be very, very... Uh, actually, I think the Speckle Park derives some of its genetics from the longhorn as well. Yeah, I'm actually so, just um, I'm looking at a picture here. It has popped it up. And what they remind me of are some of the, ra- the traditional breeds, like to the Irish Moyle as well. They have a kind of a similar, similar, similar look can, to those. They can, yeah. They can look quite like them, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, I see what you're doing. You have this uh, specific breed and you're doing the marketing on your side. 
you're going to approach dairy farmers uh, which should be straightforward enough sell uh, to get the straws into them uh, the difficult one for you I would say or for the butyl group is go, or the more challenging area is getting farmers then to go and bring these animals through to beef for you um, so there has to be uh, a benefit to doing it and the benefit in beef farming is always the economics of it uh, are farmers going to be looked after and well paid for, for doing this Ed? Yeah I think so uh, I think so look uh, everybody knows that the, the margins in beef can be they can be slim at times but uh, we've developed a scheme where we think we are able to build in a market uh, a margin for the farmer um, we are able to market the beef into sort of what we call value-added um, value-added uh, retailers. So there is a premium available for the beef at the retail end, so we are able to filter that back to the farmer. Uh, at the moment, we're looking for farmers who are interested in contract rearing, say your, your sub-calf, through to weaned from milk, so up to approximately 140 kilos. And um, that animal then will go on to a farm where it will be grown and finished. Uh, we're also got some, we've also got some B&B schemes um, set up where the farmer can take that suck calf the whole way through to slaughter and uh, we're going to pay uh, for every kilo of live weight the farmer puts on that animal. So the farmer can, he doesn't have the capital outlay on the calf and he also is insulated from the beef price. And is the calf, the calf... Yes, uh, understood. Is the calf rearing one on a per kg basis as well, or is that over a time period? Are you planning on one farmer to maybe bring the calf to 16 weeks and then you grab him off him at 16 and you bring him through to a more specialised finisher then for the finishing period? That is correct. Yeah, yeah that okay. is correct. So, that, But the, the, the rearing stage is also paid on a per kilo basis. So obviously guys that can streamline their, their uh, operation and they can... Uh, shave cost uh, by good practice and sort of um, by scaling up uh, they can they can reap the rewards of of, uh, of efficient systems and all the farmers listening here now over Leishoffley West made of one question in their head Ed and that's how much how much can they get for this how, how do you work this out like this is a this is a, a tricky figure to come up with yeah well at the moment so the rate for this coming season is going to be 3 euros a kilo for every kilo of live which you put on uh suck calf in the contract rearing stage and uh the B&B schemes uh the calf to slaughter scheme is uh 2 euros a kilo for every kilo of live which you put on them uh the whole way through and then we also have an option for guys that maybe th- the minimum size batch for the B&B and the contract rearing um programs are 50 animals some guys just might want to dip their toe in the water so to speak so what we've got available is we are actually going to sell some calves as well if guys want to buy a batch of calves maybe buy 20 longhorn calves put them in with some angus and hereford and they can put the one again the other and they can see uh, the benefits of the breeds they're very hardy calves uh, they growth rates and they get say 10 months plus they're very, very competitive growth rates and uh, they're all, also uh, early maturing breeds. So obviously anything, any system that uh, you can bring a Angus or a Hereford through, the Longhorn will thrive in those systems also. 
Just doing some quick figures here. It's a three euro kilo live weight for the calf rearing. So say a, a calf reared at you know hundred kilos is usually what you what you bring a calf to if you if you're going to rear him. But that'd be a Frisian bull. So that means uh, he would translate into three hundred euro. Uh, if you take away maybe bag and a half of milk powder, and then you're taking away your meal costs as well, you're probably talking probably about 150, 170 for that. So you're kind of talking, asking a guy to rear a calf for maybe 100, 120 euro. Um, it's not bad. It's not bad if it's only over the course of a, a 12 or a 14 week period and you do it for 50 animals, you could have five grand uh, over a shortish space of time. I suppose it really does depend, your figure though, on uh, input costs and how much the farmer does, yeah. c- can make from it. And that that is why it's, could be a hard sell uh, it a little bit just with getting guys to rear calves because they just don't know what a bag of milk powder will be next year or the price of concentrate per ton. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, what we try and do, MJ, is we try and cost it at the very start of the season. Now, I know it can be variable, but we always cost it and we will also calculate a margin for the farmer in that as well. Now, it can be subject to change, but... Uh, that's the way the beef market works. Yeah, you know? no, ab- absolutely, Ed. And just out of time on it, but it is something uh, we may revisit again, maybe closer to the breeding, uh, closer to the uh, rearing season, yeah. maybe at the, the start of next year, uh, when you'd have uh, more farmers maybe uh, on board or you're looking to get it out there. If people are interested, it is the Butelar Group. If they just go on to butelargroup.com, it's B-U-I-T-E-L-A-A-R. Um, there's a contact uh, page. You can pop your details in and uh, Ed or one of the team will be back to you. Ed, I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here this evening on the programme and I will speak to you again No problem MJ just could before I go could I that we will be paying a brief bonus on the bought calves of 10 cent over Angus price in any given week so in theory you should have a better calf and we're going to pay you 10 cent a kilo more for the animal and it's brought back to us for slaughter as well Well that's what we always like to hear Ed and uh, man, man, many thanks for that we'll talk to you Ed I left the best bit till the end Thanks MJ <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Uh, and that is Ed Cooper, the Butelar Group. As I said, pop on there to butelar.com and you can get more details on that. And in fairness, what, what they are trying to do there is create a, a distinct niche market, call it Longhorn Beef, get a bigger margin on it. They're selling into restaurants. That's a big company over in the UK and I have a lot of stuff going on in the UK trying to get over into the Irish market as well. And what I'd always say about these things is uh, have a look at it. Have a look at the figures. Do up your costings. Does it suit your enterprise? That's what it's all about. It might suit somebody who's part-time farming and he wants to just rear calves, uh, who has a shed and who just wants to get paid over that period of time, who has a limited land base. And then the other one, the B&B for the contract rearing, that may suit someone who has quite a big area of land and, and maybe has low input costs, doesn't spread much fertiliser, but still wants the, the grass to be eaten down. And that could work. So, look, it's an interesting concept and it's there. It's something uh, that beef farmers can look at. Now, coming up after the break, we're going to be speaking to James Dunn. He's from Chagas. He's going to be talking all about the National Dairy Conference, which is taking place this day week in Lyrath in County Kilkenny. So stay tuned. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw, Burlington Business Park, Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. So it's dairy room moving on to now. We have James Dunn from Chagas on the line. James, many thanks for taking my call this evening. MJ, how are you? Thanks a million for having me on. Well, good, James. Uh, you're a busy man at the moment. It's the National Dairy Conference taking place next week in Lyrat. Involved in organising this means you're very, very busy. It's a serious lineup you have, James. Awful lot going on. It kicks off next Wednesday at 9am and it's, uh, it's a busy, busy day. 
Absolutely, yeah. As always, MJ, look at there's a Joggers host the National Dairy Conference each year. At the end of November, as you say, we're in Kilkenny next week. And we, we think we have a very good programme put together in terms of, the, I suppose, the programme for the day has been kind of split in two halves in terms of industry speakers in the morning covering off a couple of very important topics. And then we have interactive, interactive workshops then in the afternoon, which we believe farmers will enjoy and can select whichever ones they want to go to. Yeah, so your overarching themes are the key drivers of milk production costs and dairy systems. Look, big, big one at the moment, especially this year, uh, given the uh, decreased milk price, uh, production costs are really under the spotlight at the moment. And then that's followed by, look again, a really topical one. It's dairy element here, but it can go across the entire board. It's getting to grips with labour challenges on dairy farms. And you have a couple of farmers speaking about it. Is there anything uh, of note there that maybe farmers have done a little bit different, uh, James, to try and, and handle that labour challenge? Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's always things in terms of uh, at farm level, you're really looking at efficiencies and practice related to that in terms of your compact calving blocks, um, focusing on, I suppose, the, the key practices then that are going to deliver at farm level and maybe farming out some of those other jobs. Um, let that be from source and labour, the use of contractors. And our two farmers there, Brendan Joyce and John Whelan, are really going to discuss that, both from an employment perspective, but also in terms of how you run an efficient farm. Is there jobs that we can farm out? How technology can help? Um, so it's always good to hear from farmers in terms of the people that are working on the ground and what's working for those. Farmers like hearing from farmers, so we're listening to them and we're two excellent farmers on in that session. No, as you said, farmers do like listening to farmers and that's the the nice mix you have here. Look, you have lots of uh, guys who are very well educated and have PhDs and whatnot. They're giving presentations and that's super. But you have the the real world experience then as well and that's what uh, farmers want. I just see then at 2pm, so you have your talks in the morning, you break for your dinner and then you have your interactive workshops and attendees can choose three from six. There's just a couple uh, I want to uh, speak about for a moment. One of those is milking 10 times a week. Can it work for you? This is an interesting one now. Uh, Emer Kennedy and Martina Gormley from Chagas are speaking about it. Uh, what's the, the, the news on this, uh, James? Can it work for people? Yeah, so look, that's one where there's been research for a number of years looking at, I suppose, flexible milking. And I'm sure there's a number of listeners even on board maybe that have opted to switch from twice a day to once a day. But I suppose something new and it's in the second year of research in, in Chagas and Moor Park is the idea of milking 10 times uh, in the week. As I say, we're into the second year. It, it, the, the research looks very, very promising in terms of um, a much lower reduction in yield um, and obviously in terms of massive benefits then from an actual um, farm labour management point of view. So on that session, we'll have a farmer's experience, a farmer that's actually come uh, milking 10 and 7 um, we will have Dr. Emer Kennedy as you say in terms of who's actually conducting the research and then in terms of our own labour expert from within our specialist team um, Martina Gormley so I suppose how people may actually implement that at farm level what's the likely impact from a solid yield health and is there SEC effect um, so all of those things are going to be covered in that workshop. So I think that's going to be a very, very good workshop and it'll be definitely be a popular one on the day, MJ. Oh, big time, James. Uh, the 10 and 7 then, you're cutting out four milkins out of your uh, your seven-day cycle. Uh, on average, which ones do people pick, uh, James? Or do, does it does it matter? Do you, do you need to space them out? What way does that work? Yeah, so the big thing there really is, 
I suppose, and, and the big benefits here is that it's, it's one milking on a Saturday, one milking on a Sunday, mm. um, and then you're looking at two on a Monday, one on a Tuesday, two on a Wednesday, one on a Thursday, and two mm. on a Friday. So the big benefit there is that you're freeing up that second milking on those four days, and namely, obviously, the ones that the people look at is the, is the weekend, if, if, there's, if you can free up time at the weekend in terms of both for staff, but also in terms of for owner-operators that maybe want to free up time allows me to go to the matches or spend a bit of time with family or whatever it is. Yeah, the Saturday afternoon is the the, the huge one, really, uh, James. And that, that that's a really interesting. And it's even something a farmer, maybe with a young family, could look at for a couple of years. Might not have to tie themselves into it forever. But you know what I mean? It's just it's an option. Um, the uh, you also have one on slurry storage and handling. This is another massive one. Just not going to have time to speak about it now. But again, slurry value at uh, a whole area of slurry. People are looking at it so so differently than before, uh, given the price of fertilizer. It's going to be hugely 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 interesting as well. Um, just James before I let you go how do people book uh, for the conference next week what's the best way to do it yeah absolutely um, so in terms of booking um, if you go to the Chagas website www.chagas.ie um, go into events National Dairy Conference will pop up you'll see the full programme there in terms of we've only touched on it as you say in terms of there's a lot of detail on the programme you click on the button register the one thing I will say is Pick the, with the workshops, you can pick three. So make sure at the time of booking that you pick the workshops that you want to go to. And I suppose one final point, MJ, in terms of just to mention too, um, we have Minister for Agriculture, Mr. Charlie McConnellogue is is um, there for the opening address in terms of the open the conference. So that's something in terms of farmers and attendees will be fit to hear on the day as well. Fantastic stuff, James. You're going to have a big turnout for that. And we'll say many thanks for joining me here this evening on the programme. Now, I'm going to shoot to a break immediately. Uh, after the break, I have Dr. Doug McMillan. He's from Green Restoration Ireland and he's talking about raising the water table on peatland and how it affects the farm and the potential payments you could receive for Sam. So stay tuned for that. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tillamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie. And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. So we are moving on and we're in the area of raising the water table on uh, peatlands. And we have a man who knows a lot about this area and that is Dr. Doug McMillan. He's from Green Restoration Ireland. Doug, many thanks for joining me on the programme this evening. Another pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, You're more than welcome, Doug. Look, we'll get stuck into it. But before we do, just your organisation, I know it's a co-op, but uh, your Green Restoration Ireland, uh, just succinctly, what, what exactly is that, please? So I suppose we were set up, well, we set ourselves up initially just to find a way to get money to farmers for restoring the landscape, basically. So, you know, be it peatlands or hedgerows or whatever, uh, just to, to find different ways of doing that. That's basically it. That's it. And where I came across you was, it was at a, a farm walk last Friday. It was on the Offaly Tipperary border, just outside Shinron, on the farm of Doney Regan. Uh, can you tell us just what is happening on Doney's farm, please, Doug? Yeah, so just uh, Doney's is one of 20 or so farms in the Farm Carbon EIP that we're managing. And uh, we're just trying various, um, we're just doing various trials on his lands. And one of them is he has a bit of... Um, kind of expensive grassland on the edge of a bog and we've raised the water table there just to see what the effect is and we're also trying um, polluted cultural wetland agriculture trials and we're doing that in collaboration with Chagas just to measure the, 
the impact of blocking the drains on the water table. Um, yeah. And there's two, two control wells, one, one with no water table raisin and the other with the water table raisin just to see how high it goes and then just to see what the effect is. Yeah, and uh, that uh, point you made there about blocking the drains, this is the issue with farmers around the Midlands. Farmers around the Midlands are worried that, uh, yeah. especially under the nature restoration law, that there will be Bordemona um, boglands, uh, which will be, the water table will be raised on them, and this will affect their lands, which are neighbouring lands. So this is something you're very conscious of with this project, yeah. Doug. Uh, so will you explain to us how um, raising the water table on the farm here in Chinron doesn't affect the farm next door? Yeah, so so on Donny's farm and then on, on on any of the farms in the project, we're only working on the internal fields, so we're not doing any for a, a next door uh, farmer, you know. So it's only contained within the fields, uh, and then we just use a range of different options. So let's say if it's more extensive grazing, summer grazing, you know, we can raise it nearly all the way, but then if it's in more constant use, we we'll maybe do a half water table raising, if you like. So. If the drains are about a meter deep, that would involve bringing up maybe 50, 40 centimeters below, which should be equivalent to business as usual on the surface of the field. Obviously, if you go higher, it's going to be an issue. But as I said, again, that's all. It's all voluntary. The farmers basically, you know, tell us which fields they want us to work on, and then we just give them a range of options, and then they let me do it for them, and then we see how it goes. Yeah, so the boundary drains basically are all left flowing and that's that's why the, the neighbouring farmers won't won't be affected. The interesting area I found on the day was this of the uh, the raising the water table on the, the grass peatland. So you have some boggy ground is what we call it uh, in everyday farming, uh, but it's in grass and you tip away with it, it's fine and it's it's very good summer grazing ground and some good fattening ground that farmers uh, often have it. They all, they all yep. say, look, you won't get cattle out too late but once they're out in it, they do very well. And uh, the concept here is something you have brought over from the Netherlands. This is basically you're letting water into it, but it's down so low under the soil that it doesn't affect the grazing on the top of the land, essentially. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, as I said, we have a range of options. So if it's just kind of rough summer grazing, you can nearly go all the way and, you know, it, will have, it won't have an impact. But I suppose the what we see is the big opportunity is if you can go 40 below, 40 centimetres below that doesn't have an impact on the surface. And what's good, you know, it's kind of business as usual, basically. So you can keep grazing. Uh, and then, of course, from the environmental point of view, then you have all of the big carbon savings. It's also, you know, reduces water pollution. And of course, it's good for biodiversity, having a bit of water in the ditches as well, you know. And the 40 centimetres below, as I said, something you brought over from the Netherlands. This is actually yeah. being done in the Netherlands. I suppose the question is, Doug, is it working? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there's lots of work on it. I mean, I suppose obviously there's a lot of learnings to be done here in Ireland because as you as you probably know they're you know they're several meters below sea level so they're very control they have very good control on the water levels but yeah they've been doing it for a long time and that's they've they've got a number of projects in different polders in the country and that's kind of the default what they're raising it to and they're they're even trying to raise it higher so I think there's another experiment my colleague was telling me it goes to 20 below, but then that involves intensive grazing. I think the cattle kind of compact the surface of the peak because the other issue, of course, is that the cattle, you can't have the cattle sinked in the field and turn it into a big swamp, you know. So, so for farmers then, um, absolutely, uh, Doug, I suppose, as you say, it's a learning curve. But for farmers with the grass peatlands and who are look at this and kind of going, look, it's land, it's there, but if I could get paid or if I could get payments uh, to allow some water in below it and still have the grazing of it, this seems like win-win territory. So 
if we're talking about actual monetary monetary gain for this, I know it's early days in the dog, but where, where do you see this going or uh, what kind of payment could farmers expect for it in the future? Well, uh, you know, we kind of align it with acres. You know, you have the payment for the low input pastures, uh, you know, so maybe if you're going high, you know, if you go higher, then you get more payment. If you're going halfway, you get a bit less. But then basically, as I said, from from the Dutch experience and what we hope to be developing the experience on is, you know, you could get paid to go uh, 40 below and just kind of carry on as usual, you know. So you have all the environmental savings and, you know, everything continues. And our, your, your project, the Green Restoration Ireland, you've got 20 farmers involved in it now. In, in the future, like, are you going to be looking for farmers to get, to get involved in this, more farmers? Obviously, it's, it's going to be a huge growth area in general in the next three to four years. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, so, so we have about 20 or so, but we, we've just got a year extension. So, yeah, we'll be looking to get other farmers into the programme uh, and, again, just keep expanding, you know, because it's, it's all a big experiment and each field is different. But, you know, the more um, the more we get done, the more we learn, you know, the better we can refine it, you know. And the aim is, as, as I said, the, the overall aim is that farmers keep farming as they're doing and but they get extra income. You know, so diversification of income is as usual. And then, of course, the other thing that we're doing is uh, essentially we're doing a, a wet grass, multi-species sward. So it would be a mix of grasses and, and leaves that would grow well in wetter conditions as well. So again, it's just all with a view to maintaining the productivity in those those fields that we might be raising the water table in, you know? Yeah, very good, uh, Doug. A great rundown there, I have to say, and uh, uh, very clear on what your uh, aims are. And uh, it, look, it's something we're going to be talking about a lot over the next uh, period of time. It's not going anywhere. Doug, I'm going to say many thanks for joining me here on the programme and we'll speak to you again at some stage. Brilliant. Okay, MJ, thanks, thanks a million for having me. Okay. And that was Dr. Doug McMillan from Green Restoration Ireland. And uh, as Doug said, that's going on about uh, 20 farms. What I liked about uh, that and what I liked about Doug when I saw him speaking was he was a succinct uh, individual. He knew what he was talking about, but he also understands that farmers don't want to basically uh, turn bog pea, uh, turn uh, peatland, grass peatland, uh, back into swamp. Essentially, they want to uh, stay farming. Well, the majority of farmers do. And they also don't want anything to happen neighbouring farms. And uh, that's the, the key message on this. So he sees it as an ability to uh, graze uh, and to also receive a carment payment as well. And also, there's an awful lot of land that this is never, ever, ever going to affect. Like, your land has to have a drain around it for any of these rewetting or raising water tables or any of these things to even be spoken about. And the amount of farms in Ireland that don't even have a drain running through them, so they'll continue as normal to be normal. Uh, grazing platforms or tillage or whatever the case may be. It's a, it's a small number and a lot of it is in the west of Ireland, but it's uh, it's an area that is not going anywhere and something we're going to have to be aware of going forward. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody who joined me this evening on the programme. Uh, Doug McMillan there, James Dunn from Chagas, Ed Cooper from the Butelar Group and Pat Griffin from the HSA at the start of the hour. I'll be back with you next Wednesday as always. Hopefully I won't have as croaky a voice and uh, the show is repeated on Sunday morning 7am. Uh, you can get us wherever you get your podcast. if you type in MJ Space Cleary and we'll see you in a week's time. Good night and God bless. Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park Tullamore. Supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. W. Orshaw.ie